You must tell me all your secrets. Remember, we must share everything together. Anybody watch a scum show like Videodrome? Why did you watch it, Max? Business reasons. Sure. What about the other reasons? Max Wren is a victim. I woke up with a headache. He has been exposed to Videodrome. I've been hallucinating for a while, ever since... What? Since I first saw Videodrome. His brain is already receiving video images. I think that massive doses of Videodrome signal will ultimately produce and control hallucination to the point that it will change human reality. Soon, his visions will coalesce and become uncontrollable flesh. Videodrome is seducing Max Wren. Please, come to me now. Come to Nikki. And Max Wren can do nothing to stop it. What makes you think I need help? None of our test subjects has returned to normality. Television can change your mind. Videodrome will change your body. Long live the new flesh. It will shatter your reality. Videodrome. Videodrome. Starring Deborah Harry and James Woods. A shocking new vision from the creator of Scanners. Coming soon to a theater near you from Universal Pictures. Hello again, this is Annie Rose Malamed, and welcome back to Girls, Guts, and Jello. And to the person who told me on my reviews that I have low production value and there's too much smacking and slurping into the mic, I have a coffee right here, so ah, this one's for you. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm back again with my friend Mistrix Mars who I will be Hello. calling Mars for the remainder of the show and not using their honorific. Mm-hmm. Um, but Mars, how, how have you been? Can you tell the listeners who you are, what you're about, other episodes you've been on? <laughs> yes. So I have been on this show before. I'm not going to name which one because it's my, um, my non-sex worker name that I'm under. Uh, I'm just going to let, you guys listen to my voice and see if you can figure it out um but yeah i wrote a quick elevator pitch for myself before this um because i needed a new one so i'll introduce myself my name is mars i'm a professional dominatrix photographer pornographer and multimedia artist in new york city my life's work is finding both pleasure and humor at the intersection of sex and abjection Annie has described me as a putrid vampire because I've been known to suck the pus directly from a lover's cystic acne. And I 
And I think that's all you need to know about me moving forward. <laughs> Amazing. Um, also, you, you introduced yourself in the Discord as I love the smell of farts. It's true, especially a woman's farts. <laughs> <laughs> um this is the perfect intro to uh you know i've been off for a minute i've been on a mini hiatus i've been really 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 busy having a lot of things going on in my career and personal life thank you for sticking around all you dedicated listeners i see i have like almost 3,000 plays on the female gaze episode which is amazing Yeah, uh, and keep coming back. You know, the schedule is a little irregular. You know, I do all of this myself, everything. And sometimes I hire independent artists that I really, really respect, love their work, like Mars, to make promo for me or edit some of my episodes. But at the end of the day, it's all yours truly. So sometimes I have some lulls and I got to catch up. And I have to think about how I want to make this show, like, exciting for me. Keep it exciting and fresh. And I think, you know, I've been doing a lot of episodes about concepts. So we had an episode about the male gaze and then another one about the female gaze. And I think when now returning to the films, I've decided I want to focus a lot more on the theory rather than the production of the film. You know, I feel like I was doing production out of obligation, but it's just Mm. not what I'm passionate about. Like, I'm not a production historian. Like, I'm a theory girl. So while there is still going to be some of that, I really want to tailor these episodes more to theory and analysis. So that's what we've done here and Mars, what film are we discussing today? We're talking about Videodrome, Cronenberg's 1983 magnum opus, a favorite of many dominatrices that I know. Oh, it's got to be, right? <laughs> hmm Yeah, and this is, I think, the third Cronenberg film that I've talked about on the podcast Um, I'm so honored to be the one that gets to talk about this. Oh, it's perfect Um, for you. Um, But before we get into the film, just annoying promo stuff, of course, because this is how I make my living. I make all of my money from Patreon and from freelance writing. So if you're a fan of the podcast, I know there's got to be at least 3,000 of you out there listening. You should really join my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash girlsgutsjello. And it, we're really, I'm, I'm really, really active there. We have a Discord that's very active. Um, I have a private website now where I screen films that another wonderful artist, Mason Buck, made for me. There's just a lot going on, bonus episodes, book club. So if you miss hearing me weekly, you can still get so much, I hate the word content. <laughs> you, can, you can still um, engage with my work a lot more than just the free podcast episodes. So 
the Discord community is really, really amazing. It's a lot of like kinky, uh, sex worker adjacent, like disabled, queer freaks. So join us. We have a really good time. Patreon.com slash Girls Guts Jello. And that's all I'm going to say about that. So let's get into Videodrome. And Mars, tell me about the first time that you watched Videodrome and what you felt about it. So I watched it by myself on my MacBook at age 12. Um, I think that I found it on some silly list of like top 10 most disturbing movies ever. <laughs> and it was on the same list as like Eraserhead and like, I don't even remember, just other other like weirdo art house films. But some of them were, I, I also found it on just like top 10 scariest film lists, which is interesting because it's, I wouldn't consider it scary. I was not scared when I watched it. I was intrigued and a little bit disturbed. Um, I remember looking at the cover for it, the, the cover, the like poster, the thumbnail, whatever. And it's usually um, the scene in which James Woods is putting his face into the television screen. And I remember making a connection between that and like the American version of the Ring series. And so I went into it thinking like, Oh, it's gonna be scary, haunted tech vibes, but it's it's not that, and it predates the ring by a decade at least. And it's, I remember by the end of it thinking like, I don't really know what all that was about, um, and that is to this day how I feel every time I watch it. By the end of it, I'm like, I don't think that was really about much of anything. <laughs> It's just really weird. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like on my end, I think the first time I watched this was also from like a scary movie list. Um, And I think it had been on my list for a while. So this was back in like 2008 when you still had to rent DVDs from Netflix. That's when I watched it too. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's our age difference showing. Yeah. (laughs) And I rented it from Netflix got it in my college mailbox Hell yeah! and uh, screened it for my friends because I wanted to see it and all of my friends hated it. They were like, what the fuck just happened? What was that? It felt like it was hours long. And of course, I did not feel that way. Um, and I've always <laughs> loved this film, but I do think that it is the Cronenberg movie with like the most confused messaging, but it's mm-hmm. one of his most famous, which is very funny too. Yeah, it it definitely you know I like I watched it at twelve and like it so it it a lot of it went over my head and it definitely took a lot of rewatches for it to become my favorite movie, but it's like it has such indelible imagery that it just stays with you um it really has that effect on like most people who watch it i feel like yeah very iconic imagery so the essay that mars and i looked at for this episode is called information and entropy the disorganization of narrative in cronenberg's videodrome and it's by an author named nick redfern 
And Mars, can you tell me a little bit about this essay? Yeah, um, he kind of leads us through Cronenberg's intentional like disorganization of plot. Um, oh my god. I read this yesterday and I already feel like a bimbo. I can't just I mean, it's actually kind of difficult. (laughs) Like, it's not just that you're a bimbo. Like, this is... I I have a hard time with this stuff, too. Um, He talks a lot about how David Cronenberg is influenced by William S. Burroughs' narrative structure, which if you've ever read Naked Lunch, it's a non-linear hallucinatory narrative. That's one of those that I started and was like... I'm good. <laughs> I mean, I get it. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was it was cool to read because that's one of like the most memorable things about it is that like it it you think that you understand the narrative that you're following um, for like I, I feel like the first like third of the film and then as you get more into like the main characters video hallucinations and um video hallucinations also like existing like sort of in this in between flesh and video analog video space you're just like pulled out of any semblance of traditional narrative structure i mean it's yeah that's and that's exactly what happens in william s burroughs writing yeah because he he was on drugs (laughs) That's a big part of it. Um, (laughs) Nick Redfern says that um, in Videodrome, the descent into narrative disorganization leaves the spectator without a determined position. Is this reality or is this television? This effect is achieved by withholding information from the viewer. So he also gets into like uh, Baudrillardian theory, like please, my pronunciation, Mm -hmm. ignore it. Baudrillardian theory. And the philosopher's claims that our current society has replaced all meaning, all reality and meaning with symbols and signs, and that the human experience is a simulation of reality. Um, Can't argue there. (laughs) (laughs) Like true. What if like we're just like in a dream? This is just someone. Sometimes it feels like I'm just in a dream, Annie. I mean, I think (laughs) at the core of this is like a lot of philosophy that sounds really deep, but when you look into it, you're like, okay, yeah, I get it. yeah (laughs) like very we get it yeah very we get it um and i'm not saying that to denigrate it i'm just saying that you know if you feel like it's beyond your grasp it might just be that you are overcomplicating it it's exactly what it sounds like entirely um he also talks about the evolutionary schema of videodrome um like how it moves through uh, chaos and entropy theory um, uh-huh. and loses meaning the further you go. Uh, he uses um, an interpretation of Baudrillard's like systems of meaning. Um, the first phase of the image is a reflection as a basic reality. In the second phase, the image masks and perverts a basic reality. 
in the third phase, the image uh, masks the absence of reality. And finally, in the fourth phase, the image bears no relation to any reality whatsoever. It's its own pure simulcrum. So he, Nick Redfern basically proposes that the film moves through this system. So, I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, By he's the absolutely end, it, right. It is not based in any, any reality, external or constructed within the film by the end of it. Right. So in the first part of the film, we're in the first phase. The reflection is basic reality, so the viewer is trained to recognize the marks of traditional narration. Um, Cronenberg exploits the viewer's familiarity with classical cinema narrative to sort of draw us in. So at first it's linear, it seems to be linear. The viewer can still distinguish between the real world and the media in the narrative. And then after Max has sex with Nikki, that's when we move into the second phase, where the image masks and perverts basic reality. Um, it, it accelerates this. There's shortening number of scenes between the hallucinations so that we just kind of forget what is real and isn't. Um, I think sex with Debbie Harry would also completely distort my reality as well. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Perfect casting in this, um, even though James Woods is disgusting. He's putrid. I hate him. Yeah, he's he's horrible. He's a horrible man. Uh, <laughs> and then we move into the third phase after Max puts on like the big VR helmet and hallucinates that he's whipping the television set. And then by the end, reality has completely collapsed and we're in the fourth phase. So I would agree with this analysis. So I guess using that framework, let's power through the film. Again, I don't want to, I'm not going to be talking about any of the production stuff behind this film, except like tidbits and things that we've learned here and there. Um, but like Mars said, this is a 1983 film directed by David Cronenberg, starring James Woods, Debbie Harry, and a bunch of other creeps. Um, but the, <laughs> those are the two that we really uh, think about when we think of this movie, or at least what I think about. Mm -hmm. And we wake, like we enter the film and it's already pretty surreal with this Civic TV logo um, and Max Wren, played by James Woods, his assistant, Bridie James, is giving him like this wake up call through his TV. And this secretary, this bitch really records a wake up tape for the, her boss every night, brings it over, physically hands it to him, and he puts it in the VCR. Yeah, what the and hell? Sets a, sets a timer <laughs> so that it wakes him up. Like, how much is this woman being paid to do all this? Why and, can't he just get an alarm? That would be too easy, Andy. <laughs> Every single day. <laughs> yeah, it's immediately kind of bizarre. Um, and Max Wren wakes up in his apartment. And I want to talk a little bit about his apartment. Mars, mm -hmm. tell me about his apartment and like what you feel like it sets up about his character. It's definitely dirty bachelor pad um, aesthetic. 
it stays with me the way he walks into his kitchen and he makes himself a latte on his unbelievably crusty stove. And he has old pizza lying out on the kitchen counter. He grabs a crust, dips it in his latte. He's got grease all over his face and hands. And then he starts leafing through these, this softcore pornography that's spread out on his kitchen table, getting the pizza grease everywhere. So I think that that tells you everything you need to know about his character. It does. And it also sets up like how chaotic he already is. So when he starts to hallucinate, you're like, is this just him? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Because his apartment is so messy. But it's also, you can tell that he has money because it's full of really expensive furniture. Yeah. And yeah, and we've got the, the classic fucking glass bricks I love the glass the, bricks. The door. You know, <laughs> I mean we you know we love the production design on all Cronenberg films but this one is like whereas something like Dead Ringers has like a really beautiful pristine like sets in the beginning this is just nasty crust from the beginning yeah and juxtaposed with all of this like nice sleek shit that he has in his apartment Yes. He's looking at this like softcore porn immediately. It's like these black and white photos that remind me of Nabayushi Araki's work, the photographer. Mm -hmm. And that leads pretty nicely into this like sketchy meeting at a hotel that Max is having with these Japanese producers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And they like show him a briefcase full of VHS tapes and they show him a film that they're proposing for his network, which is Civic TV, Channel 83. And the film they're showing is called Samurai Dreams. Extremely cringe, like, you know, Orientalist um, film. Orientalist because, you know, this script was not written by an East Asian person. Um, and totally. And it's just softcore soft porn of... Um, this woman who's like i guess supposed to be a geisha like like pulls like a very beautifully crafted wooden dildo like from a hidden place in her room and we don't see that much happen but um i guess sorry no you can you continue i lost my train of thought you're fine i actually interpreted it a little bit differently um in terms of like the oriental orientalism Mm -hmm. i interpret it as a parody of japanese sex cinema i've talked before not so much on this podcast except in the in the realm of the senses episode but in my my screenings we've talked a lot about pink films uh which were japanese sex films um through the 60s into the 90s Um, oh yeah yeah, and I just feel like this is an imitation of a like a pink film. Like pink films would have titles like that, um, <laughs> like Rope Geisha or right, like right. Samurai Dreams. So I actually felt like it was more of a parody of the American obsession with Japanese sex cinema. Oh, yeah. I think that's more what I meant when I said that. But you have the knowledge base to articulate that better than me (laughs) thank you Uh, and i was also thinking of because we're going to be talking about snuff because this film is all about snuff films um it reminds me of the movie guinea pig 2 flower of flesh and blood 
which we also watched on my stream during snuff month back in March. Yeah. And this was one of those films that it comes a little bit later than Videodrome, but it was one of those films that's been mistaken for real snuff. So I thought that connection was interesting. Um, Even though it might be unintentional, I thought it was worth mentioning. And uh, one of the guys in the room, when Max is talking to his partners, back with the white guys, one of them says, I think Oriental sex is a natural. Which I also think is a parody. Yeah. (laughs) It it just sets up like, okay, we're in a room with like the grossest, like most racist, misogynistic white men, like evaluating how like other people have sex. Right. And Max is like, yeah, it's not a, it's not tough enough. What does he say? You have it in your notes. Oh, it was, um, it was, it wasn't Max who said it. Oh, it's another guy. It's not tacky enough to turn me on. Yeah, he says like, yeah, it's too, it's too sweet. It's not tacky enough to turn me on, which I thought was, um, or is too much class is bad for sex, which I (laughs) thought was really interesting because it's true. Like this film is like, it's like a very like, like sweet, slow, like, like beautifully produced film. And they're like, we don't want to we don't want to put that on our like scuzzy public access like tv because like the the north american sensibilities like want the hyper violence they want the hypersexual you know i think i think that's where that was coming from yeah absolutely i just think that the line it's not tacky enough to turn me on is so good <laughs> it is <laughs> You know, honestly, I, I'm kind of with him there. No, I relate to that. Like, I, um, I, I mean, it, like, uh, <laughs> my, my own, like, porn watching habits are, are, um, are problematic at, at best. Oh, because same. I, I always go for the fakest, like, like, tackiest, lowest budget pornos to watch because for some reason that's the, I guess the the fact that it's so fantasy oriented or like the fact that it's so constructed and not real is what gets me off. I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> but it, that's interesting because you said like low budget and I think of low budget as like realer. Cause yeah. I'm more interested in like high budget. Like I can't watch porn with bad lighting. I'm spoiled by movies. I can't. It bothers me if there's like a terrible production value. Um, and that to me like moves it away into hyper reality as opposed to watching something more low budget. And I think that that's what's more exciting to me is like hyper reality. Mm. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to send you some links then to what I've been watching. <laughs> I mean, I would still watch it. Oh, but... you don't even want to know. <laughs> I mean, listen, what I'm watching is disgusting. I just really like nice cameras. <laughs> oh, that's so And I, I'm really into like low budget, gross, grimy stuff, like in general. But yeah, for some reason, like it that it like it turns me on it excites me but for some reason when i'm actually sitting down to masturbate i like the big budget stuff i don't know why it's i think that's completely fair and healthy (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, okay. So, yeah, Max is like, we need something tough. Okay. And this is when we we first meet Max's buddy Harlan, who calls him Patron. And this is when we see the first, the Videodrome program. So, Mars, can you describe Videodrome program? What's going on there? Yeah, so... Um, Harlan finds it pirates a signal from at first where he thinks is Malaysia. So just like random, random video signal in the ether. Have no idea how that technology works, but um, looking for stuff. Right, like international pirating. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, just looking for something, something interesting and subversive to put on their um, public access network. And he finds Videodrome, um, which is just um, just a straight shot of a of a room where a woman is being tortured um, by two people in like black cloaks and hoods. Um, the room is like executioner red. style. Yeah, the room is red and orange. There's a wall of wet clay that is supposedly electrified that they are pushing her into. It's basically dungeon gold. It's brutalmaster.com. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um it's a very striking set that I I haven't really seen like replicated anywhere since honestly. Yeah, it's pretty iconic, Um, and it's what I think of when I think of Videodrome. I think of these scenes. So he sees this program, and he's, like, really excited by it. Um, And next, we're at the Rena King show, and this is kind of like a weird, typical 80s daytime talk show. Uh, where they have three guests, and the guests are Max Wren, the controversial president of Civic TV, and uh, Debbie Harry playing Nikki Brand, who is a radio personality, and Brian Oblivion, (laughs) who is, (laughs) I don't know what he is, he's like a professor of media. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, and Brian Oblivion is on television on television he is not physically present in the room he is being played on on a screen on a crt that is just situated next to the other guests and we are led to believe that it's a live signal at the time like he is responding sort of in his own way to Raina King's questions, um, but we find out later that that is actually not the case. Dun dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> and the topic of this talk show is about media violence, media sex and violence. And Raina King says it's like creating a social climate of violence and sexual malaise. I love that phrase, yeah. sexual malaise. Yes. And Max says it's simply giving viewers a harmless outlet. And, you know, it's just kind of the same arguments that we hear all the time. Yeah, this conversation <laughs> is like, is old like as, endless. Like, yeah, old like as the does, screen con- itself. Does consuming violent media make humans more violent? I would argue no. Humans have been torturing each other forever. 
Right. And Max is also sort of arguing no there that he just gives people an outlet for the violent urges they already have. Uh, And Nikki says Nikki has like no real morals or philosophy in this. No. Uh, She's not really a person. Uh, She's a fantasy. Ooh, I don't know what that was. Um, And she says that we're living in overstimulated times and it's bad. (laughs) It's almost like she was brought on just to sort of be a contrarian in some way because, you know, she says, like, we live in overstimulated times. We crave stimulation for its own sake and I think that's bad. And... And then Max Ren says, well, why are you wearing a red dress? You know what Freud would say about wearing a red dress. <laughs> and, she, and then she says, it's true. I live in a highly excited state of overstimulation. And so it's, you know, she's, she's there, I guess, as just the beautiful, like, quote unquote, female foil, I think, to Max. Yeah, um, and just lure him into this larger plot. I mean, she does look great in that red dress. And when he, he asks her out, when he's like, she says, you're right, I live in a constant state of overstimulation. And he just turns to her and he's like, I'd really like to take you out sometime. I mean, same. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Brian Oblivion, you know, kind of says a bunch of nonsense on the talk show. Um he says something like, soon all of us will have special names, which is true, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. And like, what's so fun to like analyze about this movie is that it it's about such a very particular moment in time with technology and media where, you know, televisions are like big and clunky and analog. Um, but we have this Brian Oblivion who's like, talking about like like humans like becoming more real through these like personas created on television but we're not at a point in technology then where like everyone can be showing up on tv you know like he very specifically is able to interface with the world that way but it's not like today where everyone has a smartphone and you know we all have screen names or usernames or handles or whatever and like that is very true but at the time when this movie was made like that concept probably felt a little more like far away or convoluted sort of futuristic yeah i yeah i guess it yeah i'm like like none of this feels futuristic like watching it i'm like oh yes yes i have to remember 1983 like i know because it's all about (laughs) the vhs tape i mean what's interesting about this film is it sort of like capitulates from the point that like the vcr and the vhs tape are like the most important inventions in media at the time and then cronenberg follows that up years later in, uh, with Existence kind of like doing the same thing but with, with video games Existence is like yeah that was funny because he just kind of fundamentally doesn't understand how video games work I know it's hilarious <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's really funny um, and I think in this at least David Cronenberg understands how VHS tapes work yeah like I, I feel like it, <laughs> I feel like he really like through the production through like the physicality of like the television and the the tapes and the way things like 
turn into flesh and turn back into like analog technology he he had like a mastery of like the kind of chokehold that crts and tapes and like that analog media had on people yeah absolutely and you're an analog video artist yourself I yes, I'd love I love to think of myself as such. <laughs> I yeah. Oh, and like I guess um yeah, to like to like position myself in relationship to this technology, like, you know, I first watched this movie on a laptop um and I am like I am a I'm a millennial zoomer cusp, I will Ooh. say. I'm millennial leaning is how I like to think of myself. Um, but like, basically, like I grew up on VHS tapes, you know, like I, it took my family like a while, I feel like to upgrade to DVDs. And so like, I grew up, you know, sitting in front of a huge CRT, putting my face really close to the screen to like, look at the little red, green, blue phosphorescent, like squares and like, feeling the heat from it and feeling the like static electricity that comes off of the screen when you first turn it on or when you turn it off and like um I don't know if everyone was like that as a kid but I had a very like physical relationship with TVs like they were just very like you know like I I grew up watching videos and playing video games and like I like I I was like I was definitely a screen baby like I I did I went outside also I also touched grass but um <laughs> I I definitely like in in watching Videodrome later on a MacBook I remember like really kind of viscerally relating to the way that people like grope the technology in this film yeah, and I think you're the kind of things that you make are really conducive to that technology because they're so like tactile and physical and yeah, like grimy. Um, and I think that that form is just works really well with tapes. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I think you're obviously the perfect person to talk about this. And I think, I mean, so much of this film is so dated and yet so prescient like that idea that we're all gonna have nicknames yeah true and Andy Warhol predicted that too this <laughs> horrible dead ass um that we would all you know have our 15 minutes or whatever and now we all have way more than that so oh yeah <laughs> it's exhausting it is exhausting <laughs> Max is with Harlan again, and this time they're watching Videodrome and there's a black man being tortured. And it's notable because uh, Max says, who is this black guy? Is he a political prisoner or something? So they just kind of assume that the black man is a political prisoner, but they don't have anything to say about the women who are being tortured. Like, oh, that's clearly sexual. But (laughs) it can't be if it's a man. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I didn't think about it that way. Yeah, it's just like, oh, who is this, a political prisoner? But no questions about the women being tortured. (laughs) (laughs) So they figure out that the signal is coming from Pittsburgh, of all places. And Max goes to meet Nikki Brand at her radio show. What's her radio show? Um, What, God, the Emotional Rescue Show. Um, She's like a a dom, Dr. Laura. 
Yeah, yeah. She she speaks with a total phone sex voice. Um, she's talking to some woman who's just crying about how much she hates her sister, but she's clearly talking about herself. And and the station is called C Ram, which I just read as cram. Cram. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. that's got to be intentional, like cramming a tape in, or like cramming your dick in a hole, or cramming your dick in a hole. <laughs> But I mean, the whole, I feel like the whole message of this film is like, but isn't a VACR like a pussy and a VHS is like a dick? Yeah. (laughs) That's the whole film. Oh my God. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. (laughs) So Nikki uh, goes to Max's apartment and he asks if he has porn to watch. Got any porno? (laughs) I'm obsessed with her. (laughs) (laughs) she's just like perfect 80s phone sex fantasy yes and she finds the video drone vhs and they put it on and as they're watching it she's like take out your swiss army knife and cut me yeah (laughs) i i'm just i'm trying to throw myself back to being 12 years old and watching this for the first time and I'm just like I'm just like was this disturbing to me no it it wasn't it was intriguing um but I remember feeling kind of sick inside at the same time maybe Mm. this was a sexual route for me but yeah so like he he doesn't end up cutting her but you know, he notices that Nikki already had cuts on her neck and he's like, you let someone cut you like that? And she's like, yeah, what do you think? You want to try a few things? <laughs> and so he's such a know, square. He is such a square. <laughs> so they get naked. They get naked. And what they try is needle play. Essentially, um, he sticks a needle through Nikki's earlobe and um, pulls it back out and licks it. Um very hot very sexy um it's really hot except that james woods is disgusting i know when you i'm like why do we have to watch his dis- disgusting republican tongue licking that needle yeah it's like a <laughs> lizard tongue <laughs> i hate it but but debbie Harry's so but beautiful but it's really hot it is. um and i it just made me want to remake it with two women Oh my god, you're so right. Because it's a like, really sexy scene. Oh my and god, like we... a fucking like butch femme couple. Yes, doing this. that would That'd be hot. Amazing. Yeah, um, yeah. We don't we don't get a lot of needle play scenes in movies. So this, I feel like this is very, po- very pointed, very canonical in the kinky canon if you will because we just don't get a lot of stuff like this yeah that's very true i can't think of any other needles through the skin in an erotic context in film this film is obsessed with penetration obviously i mean as most of cronenberg's films are right (laughs) um but this is like the this is like the 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 apex like of of his of his sort of like running gag of like let me put a hole where there wasn't a hole right right (laughs) like let me how many fuck holes can i create like on a person (laughs) videodrome aka holes 
Um, and as we like zoom out on their repulsive sex, <laughs> we see not that she's repulsive. I mean, James Woods. Uh, we see Nikki and Max like fucking in the video drum room. And I think this is the first break with reality. Yes. And I love that it's a sex scene that advances the plot here. Yes. I mean, again, sex with Debbie Harry, transformative. Yes, that would also advance my plot, if you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We we just did a Verhoeven week for the Patreon where I watched, I screened two double features. A double feature every single night of the week this it past week. It was so week. fun. I'm so glad. I went to one of them and it was very fun. <laughs> um, of all Paul Verhoeven films. So we started with his really early work and we ended with Benedetta. And Verhoeven is really into this idea of sex scenes advancing the plot of a film. <laughs> but Annie, I don't think sex scenes advance the plot. I think they're superfluous. Does anybody think- even know about this off Twitter? <laughs> like, is this something that people talk about off of Twitter? I don't even know. I don't even like bringing up Twitter on the podcast because I feel like it's an alternate reality of like it really completely is. crazy, unhinged. I don't spend any more time on there than I have to. No. Yeah. And I hate <laughs> when people spend too much time on there. I spend a lot of time on there. But something I hate is when people spend too much time on there and they bring the discourse into like their other work. So like the podcast or writing or whatever. And you can tell when people are Twitter poisoned because they're trying (laughs) to like, yeah, because they're trying to like um, think about any, any argument that would come at them before they even like make the point they're trying to make Mm -hmm. where they're like, well, you see it a lot in articles where people will be like, well, of course this, this and this, and don't come at me with this. No one was coming for you. You're just on Twitter too much. Um, And I don't even like to talk about the sex scene discourse on here, even though I can't help mentioning it because I use Twitter so much for work just the idea that you know there's like a whole faction of twitter that's constantly talking about how sex scenes aren't necessary for the plot which i just think is an inane conversation like starting point anyway so i don't even like to address it oh yeah but lip my only lip service will be sex scenes can clearly advance the plot it happens in video drum (laughs) absolutely (laughs) so the next scene we meet masha uh, love Masha. She's like a severe Russian woman. Is uh, she Russian or is she supposed to be Greek? Oh, is she Greek? Okay. I and thought. Is... I also thought she might be Turkish. Yeah. I mean, here's where I, I like wrote this in my notes. Here's where like another like ethnic stereotype type character comes in. And like, I was assuming she was Greek just because she brings in her like Apollo and Dionysus um uh, film to pitch and I don't know that I was getting Greek vibes but what do I know and I was getting like Turkish vibes because of the restaurant they go to right yeah I mean you know a, like Mediterranean like <laughs> maybe area. we're not really supposed uh, to know <laughs> yeah I'm yeah, yeah. I mean, she's she basically basically like she comes in she's got this kind of like accent that's a little bit unreadable she's um she's she's kind of like 
um i think she's supposed to have like a like a i don't want to say the word but like a g slur vibe i see you know what i mean um like she's supposed to be maybe of roma descent yeah yeah that's kind of what i was feeling yeah i know what you mean that's it's like a mishmash of things Um, And she brings in this erotic film called Apollo and Dionysus, which is like an artsy erotic film. And um, it's barely erotic, barely erotic. And he's like, this is not what we need, Masha, to which I was like, what is this TV channel? And then I and then I I was like, "Okay, it's supposed to be public access. Um, And I used to work at public access in Brooklyn, New York. And mm-hmm. public access is a strange place, but you can put porn on public access as long as you don't show penetration. And huh. it has to be late at night. So I was kind of just like, I don't know if the rules were different in Canada in 1983, but what the hell is this channel? <laughs> and also, like, you don't program public access. Like, it's completely run by the community. Like, people come in and they bring their programs and, you know, you program that. But you're not, like, yeah. poaching programming and, like, buying programming. I just thought that was so silly. <laughs> I guess it's, I, I mean, I guess the idea is that his station is a little bit, corrupt or it's skeevy the way that he's running things word it's just really funny because public access is like one of the least skeevy enterprises yeah that's what i would assume (laughs) it is (laughs) like i don't know how they do things in canada (laughs) i don't know how they do things over in canada but um over in here public over here in fucking america um public access is like one of the last true bastions of free speech um it's completely free speech um that includes hate speech and you know there's (laughs) a lot of feelings about that um but typically what they'll do is um it's community run and the the community makes the program and that's what makes up the programming and that's what makes up the public access channel so if somebody brings in like i know where i used to work if somebody brought in something that was like full of hate speech like we have to put it on, but they would put it on at like three in the morning so that nobody would see it. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, you know, public access is like government funded and it's also funded by cable companies. So mm-hmm. every cable company that runs through the public access vicinity so like in brooklyn for example every cable company that runs through brooklyn has to give money to public access like it's required Mm. by law um so that's why brooklyn has such a huge public access network because it has a lot of funding because every cable company goes through there so interesting yeah so it's actually like one of the least corrupt institutions um, which is really f- funny. Is this but it's just Cronenberg like writing out of his ass, like not understanding how the I know, actual it's machinations so, of it's this. It's so funny. So Max asks Masha about Videodrome, and he's very enamored of it. 
Um, which is also funny to me because I just think it's so I just think it's hilarious that he thinks this program is so good and compelling. I'm like, I mean, it's cool, but it's just people getting tortured in front of a clay wall. Uh, (laughs) He's like, I think this is what's next. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is the next big thing, which, you know, I wish. Um, (laughs) I wish that a bunch of people wanted to watch something that weird. So... Nikki tells Max that she's going to audition for Videodrome and he's really upset about it. And he's like, those Mondo weirdo video guys, like, you don't know what they're capable of. Um, And I wanted to explain Mondo a little bit. Mars, have you ever heard about the Mondo genre? Um, Vaguely, please tell me. So they're like a sub genre of exploitation films. They're like these fake documentaries um, that uh, were made by a lot of Italian directors in the 1960s through the 70s and 80s. Um, there's They're like these pseudo documentaries depicting sensational topics. So um, they would do things like weird Asian sex mondo and it would just be like a montage of like quote unquote strange sexual practices in the far east Mm -hmm. Um, or they would do it there was a lot of ones about Africa like sexual practices or tribal rituals in Africa and a lot of uh, would faces of death be yes faces of of death is a mondo film it's like one of the most famous ones so that's yeah it's like a fake documentary of you know bizarre sex and violence so max gets possessive with nikki um and she's like all right whatever anyway um and to (laughs) demonstrate how serious she is and independent she is she burns her tit with a cigarette yes and it's pretty hot because it's debbie harry it's pretty hot so how do you feel about like nikki brand's masochism in this film it's um let me put my thinking cap on yeah go for it (laughs) she i mean she reads as a very like self-assured empowered woman who knows what she wants and um i think you're exactly right like in this after this moment of max wren like grabbing her by the shoulders and be like don't go mess around with that stuff like um being very like weird and macho and protective and she's like you got a cigarette lights it and is like hey max look and burns herself with it um and you know he 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 moves to to stop her from doing it which is like interesting because you know like i guess the the visual of someone burning themselves with a cigarette like outside of a sexual context is is different um, that reads a little more like self-harm. I remember feeling that way when I watched it originally. I was like, there, it's something feels different about her burning herself in that way in that moment. And then that's the last time we see her like in the flesh, quote unquote. That's the last time that we see her- Not on um, a TV screen. Not on a screen or not in a hallucination, um, which I think is interesting. So- her masochism, 
I, it, she feels like like there's like multitudes and complexities like just under the surface but every time you feel that way about a character in this film it's just completely like erased and ripped away from you and Cronenberg doesn't actually like go deep into any one character's motivations which goes back to the way that the narrative is disrupted so many times right you know yeah, and it also feels like sadomasochism in this is a conduit for this idea of the the image made real. Um, mm-hmm. Like pain is what brings you, like what is what makes something real almost. Um, and that's also what opens up the receptors to the Videodrome image. Right, right. And, this, um, and the last time we see her in the flesh being like a moment of masochism and pain, I think is probably significant. Yes. There's a lot going on, but it's also kind of esoteric. And um, I don't even, I think like I honestly see Cronenberg is just like working shit out in this film. Yeah. Um, Max meets up with Masha at a restaurant. Um, there's a belly dancer which makes me feel like it's a Turkish restaurant and she has info about Videodrome and she tells him she thinks it's dangerous, more dangerous than the mafia, more political than the mafia. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is the big reveal that, which we kind of already knew, which is that Videodrome is not acting. It's real. It's snuff TV. Uh, What's snuff, Mars? (laughs) Snuff is um, actual torture and murder. It is actual um, depiction of violence um, on video. I guess it could also be photos. Um, yeah, you 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 did a whole month on this. You you launched into it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will. All right, hold on one second. So snuff films are the stuff of legend. They are apparently films that depict not just depict but just recorded documentary murder so somebody being murdered on camera um the first known use of the term is from a 1971 book called the family the story of charles manson's dune buggy attack battalion um where the author ed sanders alleged that the manson family had recorded a bunch of their murders, filmed a bunch of their murders in California, and buried the the footage somewhere in the desert. The word snuff originally comes from the idea of like burning the wick of a candle, like snuffing out a life, extinguishing Mm. a life. Um, That's so like campy. Right. Like, I'm going to snuff you out. Okay. (laughs) Exactly. And... Snuff films are not real, right? But they sort of are. Like, we have... Now they are. Like, now that the internet is a thing, um, there are very much uh, recorded murders. I'm thinking of, like, the execution... Rotten.com. Yeah, (laughs) Rotten.com, or, like, the execution of Saddam Hussein, even. Like, we do have actual footage of people being murdered. But at the time this wasn't really a thing it's an urban legend and people used the urban like maybe the manson family recorded their murders but there's no no evidence of that so 
at the time, in the early 1970s, this was an urban myth that filmmakers started to use to titillate audiences. So there was this low-budget exploitation film titled Slaughter that was made by a husband and wife grindhouse filmmaking team, Michael and Roberta Findlay. And they filmed it in Argentina. And it depicted like a Manson-esque murder cult and was shot without sound because the actors didn't understand English very well. So (laughs) they have this footage. They have no idea what to do with it. It's kind of bad. So Roberta, (laughs) Roberta Finley had this really great idea to market it as a real snuff film. So when they released this in like Grindhouse Theaters in New York, people thought it was real that this this was actual footage of actual people being murdered and the poster said and filmed in South America where life is cheap no <laughs> and it was this very like westernized fantasy of um like almost hostile type you know yeah torture rings uh where people would pay to torture people on camera and kill them right so that's very much the origins of like the the thought behind videodrome exactly yeah um and like feminist groups protested the movie um and uh the the theater owner that showed the film was prosecuted on obscenity charges so people really thought this was real which is so funny now in retrospect. I mean, I guess they did a good job presenting it that way. That was the goal, right? Right. And there's for our snuff month, we watched a bunch of movies about snuff or films that were mistaken for the real thing, quote unquote. Um, and we also watched a movie called Last House on Dead End Street, which is really fucking brutal. And for some reason is on Tubi. Which is I didn't an ama- see that one. amazing um, free streaming service that has these crazy unhinged movies on it. Um, so if you want to watch Last House on Dead End Street, it's maybe one of the most brutal and shocking and upsetting movies I've ever seen, which I feel like is saying a lot oh, for me. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's another early film that used the snuff aesthetic and the snuff plotline. Um, that I think is really historically interesting. And then we get, we move into, when we move into the 1980s, and I'm getting a lot of my research from this book called Killing for Culture, um, Death on Film from Snuff to Mondo. And uh, it's from the 90s, and then there was a re-release in, in, I think, 2013. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'm getting all of this information. And when we move into the 1980s snuff film starts to become more films about snuff so Mm -hmm. instead of like recreating the snuff film experience so that this is kind of this comes out of that time so masha tells max that this is real snuff um and (laughs) she says to max that the videodrome has a philosophy and that's what makes it dangerous what is the philosophy exactly? <laughs> yeah. We never really learn. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. That the, yeah, that we know like the oblivion philosophy. We find that out, but we don't really find out like the videodrome philosophy. Um, yeah. 
also Masha is a cougar and <laughs> James Woods is like I'll shower with you anytime if you give me this information and she's like I'm sure he would be beautiful to which I was like ill no but <laughs> no he wouldn't he wouldn't Masha. You're a bit you're a bit older than I prefer, she says. <laughs> and then she leers at a very weird-looking young man who comes over as the waiter. Yes, She's exactly. God, just Cronenberg just finds the weirdest fucking-looking people. Yeah, for he does. His movies. Yes. So um, Max goes to the cathode ray mission. <laughs> <laughs> Which is supposed to, I guess, kind of look like the Catholic mission. Right, you know? right. <laughs> Max introduces himself to Brian Oblivion's daughter, Bianca Oblivion. And um, he really wants to talk to Brian, but she's like, the monologue is my father's preferred method of discourse. How many men do you know like that? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, Bianca sort of explains like what all the people are doing there, that they're sick and they need the tv to help them feel better um it's essentially like a homeless shelter where there's these little cubicles where there's busted up crt tvs playing a very wide array of things on them and there's like one person per tv and bianca's saying like you know they're derelicts because they haven't had access to the cathode ray tube um like you know television and access to media is like what socializes them properly essentially mm. um and i feel like yes there's something to be said of like your access to popular media like allows you to navigate the world socially like in a fluid way you know um but what they're watching on the screens in the Catherine <laughs> Ray mission is so random and disturbing. Like we see Max Ren walk by a man who's watching. A, I, th I think it is the inaugural first video of open heart surgery on, oh, really? on the TV. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm, I feel like like I saw it. I feel like it's from Faces of Death, actually. It's so um, possible because they mentioned Mondo in this. I really wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you just get this, this you know, like schlubby, presumably houseless person is like watching this video and he turns and looks at Max and like, he smiles directly into the camera and it's very creepy. Um, so it's like, okay, yeah, sure. This is a rehabilitation center. You know, it's, it's very dubious. This is what we mean when we say like the philosophy here is confusing. It like, is. It, it My note here is I don't really understand and I don't think Cronenberg does either. <laughs> yeah. Like, so they can be plugged into the world's mixing board. Yeah. Like, what are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> It's all just TV, man. Yeah, man. Did you want to explain how the cathode ray tube works? Oh, yeah. So, um, so yeah, like when we talk about old school televisions, um, a CRT, a cathode ray tube TV, um, is this, it's a vacuum tube. It's made out of glass, lead glass, essentially, um, to contain like, possible x-ray admissions um from the inside um and it's it's like it's a glass tube where electrons are being fired through a vacuum and controlled by like a coil and uh, and anodes and diodes and you know all that kind of stuff and it basically the elect the electrons hit 
a phosphorescent screen on the other side and it it lights up um and turns different colors depending on the speed of the electron or something that's like the bastardized version but basically so it's cool. basically it's a really clunky and kind of dangerous piece of technology like it's a vacuum tube like if you try there's all sorts of warning labels on an old school tv that's like do not try to open this up and look at it it will implode you know it's like it's it's a very they're very difficult to recycle like there's still warehouses full of crts like i have two yeah they're really easy to get because you can't get rid of them i have four (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah um yeah you can't you can't really do anything with them and that's why they're not in i think there's maybe like one company in the world that still makes them but yeah they're not really in production anymore because they're such um they're a bitch to make and they're a bitch to unmake and so yeah like that's that's kind of what i was what i was saying earlier about how like the technology of that time like really lends itself to this to like the body horror that we get totally that's really good context yeah because it's so tactile and dangerous yeah like a body (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, so Max is now in his apartment with a gun, just hanging out, shirtless, with, like, a gun harness on. Um, It could be such a hot look if it weren't James Wood. Oh, no, this isn't the part with, but yes, it could be really hot. But no, he, this is, he unwraps the paper around the gun. So this is when we first Mm. see that he has obtained a gun. Um, No context. Right. Just, I don't know, maybe he feels like he's... He's like, I'm getting deep into this video drum shit. I better get some. Protection. I better get a gun. Yeah. Uh, Bridie comes over, and Max has like a vision of of slapping her, where uh, she becomes Nikki. So there's the more breaks with reality there. Um, mm-hmm. Max picks up a VHS and it starts breathing, which reminds me so much of being on acid. Like things always breathe when I'm on acid. And like I, I remember, yeah. One, yeah, I remember once like opening a pizza box, and I was like, like we had just gotten a bunch of pizza for the trip, and I opened <laughs> the pizza box, and it was like breathing, like pulsing, like a Cronenberg movie, and I just was like, I can't eat that, man. Like, really, like very yeah. stereotypically acid casualty. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know you don't want to talk about production too much. No, but go like, for it. The, but like, I just didn't want to research it. But if you want, to, if you want to talk a little bit about it, go for it. Um, well, I mean, you know, I've just seen a few behind the scenes things, but like, there, like a lot of work went into like creating fake tapes and fake TVs for these sequences. Like, we see the tape breathe, and like that's quite literally like a rubber tape that has like, um has like a little animatronic like moving part inside of it that that pushes through and makes the rubber move mm. um and so um like uh see and and this is just one of those like i'm having that moment where i'm like when things were practical effects they look so much better but you're you know? right and it's not but the thing about it is that like if you like pause and like rewind and really watch it it's like oh yeah that's clearly not an actual 
VHS tape. It is a constructed one, like if you really look at it. But the but the fact is that was an object that was there. Someone was holding that and we're watching it move in real time on camera. And mm-hmm. like it's like the there is just something so different. Um <laughs> there's so different something so different about watching a physical thing happen than watching the digital approximation of it happen you know even if even if the digital thing looks extremely extremely realistic it's still like uncanny valley something is slightly wrong there but here we're looking at like that was an object that actually moved in a very creepy way in that person's hands and it makes the hallucination so much more real Whereas when you're when you see a movie with CGI hallucinations, you're like, it's a hallucination. Um, And with this, it's like so it's scary real. Oh, my God. I just thought I'm sorry. Sidebar. I I told you I watched the movie Men in the theaters recently. Oh, I I haven't seen it yet. I cannot believe that I cannot believe that I paid money to go see it at the cinema. I don't want to pay for it now. Yeah, don't. Absolutely not. Um, But. So there's some very hyper-realistic CGI body horror in it that um, I feel like if someone knew us on a very surface level might be like, you should go see this movie because you're going to love the body horror. It's going to be so you. <laughs> but but like just because someone can like very hyper-realistically animate like a vagina popping up on a man and then him giving birth to himself like over and over and over again in like this sickly way just because it's possible to do it digitally doesn't mean you should and it doesn't mean that you can conceptually back it up in a way that like makes it like mean anything (laughs) I don't know like not to say that Cronenberg really conceptually backed up anything here but the thing is he wasn't I don't think he was trying to do yeah that, but we just you know? buy it so much more because it's so sincere <laughs> yeah <laughs> it is it's very sincere and like you can see the blood and sweat that went into it yeah so max pops in this oblivion tape brian oblivion tape that he's received where he's monologuing and he's talking about how tv is part of the physical structure of the brain and like whatever is on TV emerges as raw experience for the viewers. So television is reality. It's kind of this idea of like, if you see something on the screen, are you really experiencing it? Like, is that having an experience? Mm-hmm. Which I find really interesting in light of like how we talk about media now and how yeah. people feel like they can be traumatized by media or like, you know, whatever. I don't even want to go like too trite with it. I just yeah. find this because like that's stupid. But <laughs> if we give it any credence, I think it would be this, this interesting idea that is what we view through the screen an actual experience that we're having. And like, how do we categorize that experience? Mm-hmm. So Oblivion starts talking to Max, like, your reality is already half video hallucination. Um, he explains that he had a brain tumor that gave him visions um, where the visions caused, he thinks the visions caused the tumor, not the other way around. Um, and when it, they removed the tumor, it was called Videodrome. And he was like, like the first victim. And- <laughs> 
like, what do you, what do you mean they removed the tumor? And they're like, here's Videodrome. Like, <laughs> what does it mean? The literal nonsense that comes out of these people's mouths in this film. That, that's why, yeah, like at this point, you're just like, okay, I'm along for the ride. This is a yes. coaster. Like, like none of this really like, like means anything in like a logical chronological way no no it's hallucinations and ramblings um the videodrome people like come upon oblivion as he's talking and strangle him and like these people in black hoods and then one of them takes off the black hood and reveals itself to be nikki and nikki beckons max from the tv and that's when the tv starts breathing like the VHS tape, and Max caresses this breathing TV as Nikki like beckons to him. And as he caresses the TV, this huge throbbing like cock vein like shows up on it. Yes. And, um, and here's where like the idea of like media penetrating the brain or media like, you know, penetrating you and controlling you like is made like physical here you know like he it it feels like the object like we know that it's it's you know the the likeness of nikki brand is on the television her mouth is on the television Mm -hmm. but the but to me like the veininess of the crt in this scene it's it's all it's saying cock to me it's it's all saying screaming cock (laughs) like Max Wren is going to get fucked is the, yes. is the feeling here. Oh, and yeah. then and then the iconic moment of him pressing his face into the screen, which um, is sort of like um, appears to be flexible or sort of ballooning out. Like, like if you want to know the behind the scenes of how they did that, um, <laughs> they, 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 they used a dental dam um which i i just love that um i know it's so good i'm like yes like i mean it really harkens back to like how this is very sexual yeah i know exactly um so they use a dental dam aka like a sheet of latex as the screen and then they had um they they had a fan or something like blowing air into the screen on the other side so that there was resistance when James Woods pressed his face and his hands into it. Um, and yeah, the effect is is stunning. It looks great. It still looks yeah, great. It does. Back at the cathode ray mission, Max has come back with the tape Oblivion sent him. And he's talking to a Bianca about he, how he's been hallucinating. And Bianca, quote unquote, explains <laughs> that Videodrome, watching the program, creates a tumor that induces hallucinations. Um, he goes, and- you let me watch it? <laughs> right. <laughs> and Bianca reveals that Brian Oblivion actually died 11 months ago from the Videodrome tumor. And that he stays alive through these thousands of videotapes that he made where he's just monologuing. So Brian helped to create Videodrome and he thought it was like the next evolution of man to merge with TV. Um, and when he found out that his what his co-creators wanted to do with Videodrome, they killed him. 
And and uh, what did they want to do with video drum exactly? <laughs> Give people tumors? <laughs> <laughs> like blends them with the TV, the reality of the TV? Um, Oblivion thought that TV was more real than reality. Uh, this is when Bianca says he wasn't afraid to let his body die. And Max watches an Oblivion tape that explains that Brian thinks the tumor isn't a tumor, but actually a new organ, a new part of the brain that's created by watching TV. So, you know, really convoluted, but also kind of interesting that like we would evolve with the TV, uh, which I think, you know, that kind of that that idea of like merging with the machine is going to come back with the gun. Um, yeah. So Max is like in his apartment, shirtless in a gun harness, like would like you said, would be very hot if it wasn't James Woods. <laughs> and he starts like itching this slit in his stomach with the gun. And as he's doing that, and Mars is scratching their stomach slit also. <laughs> <laughs> so like I'm like it's so visceral like as yeah. you're saying it like I'm literally reaching onto my stomach and scratching where it would be because because um it's it's so like it's so devastating to watch for the first time like his his stomach his stomach torso area just opens up into a pussy very clearly not trying to hide it it's a slit with some labes it's it is yes and and he um and it it also is supposed to be a vcr slot um but in this moment a tape doesn't go in there he you know what i here's what i wanted to say about this scene um and totally like like this makes sense for the time that i watched it when i was 12 like the watching him stick this gun into his chest pussy and sort of like the way he stands up and he's like shaking and his hand gets kind of stuck in there and he's like you know clearly disturbed like watching that I was like that is exactly what it felt like the first time I tried to put in a tampon (laughs) like 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 when I was like 13 like because like I, I wasn't I wasn't afraid of you know having a vagina but like like having this hole where you don't know what the fuck is all the way up there like and you're trying to like explore it for the first time like like I I like almost fainted the first time I tried to put in a tampon I was just so like um disturbed by like exploring my own interiority in that way and so like I feel like it's very uh uncanny and abject it's very relatable like this scene is just very relatable to me um and it's just really funny watching a cis man go (laughs) yeah I mean Cronenberg makes such trans films yeah I mean yes um (laughs) and I feel like uh if uh, if I need to like posit my like positionality here in this conversation, I am an FTM transsexual they them. Um, so that's my lived experience um, watching this film. <laughs> and I'm James Woods. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm more of a Nikki Brand. Oh, definitely. Yeah, but he makes like very trans movies while being a very cishet man. I think he's just I think he just thinks that like 
I think he's just deeply terrified of vaginas in general. (laughs) I just think, I just think, yeah, he's, he just sees it as this symbol of like, like it's, he sees it as a symbol of like on a man. It is like the, like the way that one can be controlled. And then Mm. like it, like on a woman it is like the thing that does the controlling that's mm. that's what it seems like to I me. think that's a great analysis yeah and I you know we're, spe- we're speaking that. in yeah we're speaking like very binary terms because I don't think there's anything non-binary about what David Cronenberg does no <laughs> um but yeah yes chussy the chussy scene or it's, is it stomacy stum because it really is on his stomach. It's it's kind of I would say it's between it's like between the 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 uh, what's it's, this called the his, the, his sternum pussy. The stern. It's like <laughs> anyway, you'll just have to watch for yourself, folks. Yeah, you'll just have to watch the VCR sternum pussy for yourself. It's really iconic, and James Woods apparently like hated this prosthetic. It was very uncomfortable. Um. Like it, and it freaked him out, like having it on him. Yeah, yeah. I bet it did. <laughs> um, it's really impressive practical effects too, because when he puts his hand inside of it, it goes in really far, or it looks yeah. like it goes in really far. Yeah. Um, and he fucks his stomach vagina with a gun. So in this world, the VCR player is the pussy, and the gun is the penis, and he like fists it. And hides the gun in there. But his stomach vag has disappeared. Oh no. Uh, what does the it gun mean? Go? <laughs> Damn. Damn. Chekhov's sternum pussy gun. <laughs> it's going to come back. So God. Max gets a call from Barry Convex. What a name. Who would like to talk to him about Videodrome. And there's a car waiting for him downstairs. And when he gets into this limo car situation there's like a little crt um in the car and the the spectacular optical logo comes up and barry convex comes on the tv and he explains that spectacular optical like they make glasses and they also work for nato and also they make make videodrome what? they're like we make we make um glasses for underserved communities in the third world and missile guiding technologies for nato i know it's like (laughs) Like, hilarious yeah they're like we're not even trying to like hide our dichotomy here yeah (laughs) yeah exactly um barry convex like takes max into the spectacular optical glasses store and uh max puts on these glasses and barry convex is like those overwhelm your face you need something more spidery, which I just thought was really more, funny. More delicate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Barry takes out this like prototype machine that looks like a big VR helmet. And he wants to use it to record Max's hallucinations so that he can analyze them. And he explains that no test subjects have returned to normality after being exposed to Videodrome and they're all in psychiatric care units. Mm-hmm. And then he says... You'll forgive me if I don't stick around to watch. I just can't cope with the freaky stuff. I know, which is hilarious because he's like supposedly creating the freaky stuff. And uh, he says, I think you'll find a little S&M will be necessary to trigger off a series of hallucinations. 
And why is it S&M, I wonder? Because they only talk about violence. They don't really talk about the combination of sex and violence in this, even though it's completely implied. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, like, it's it, it's like it, it's like earlier when Nikki Brand is at the apartment and she's like, got any um, got any porno? porno? And and Max is like, oh, I have Videodrome. It's just torture and murder. And she says, sounds great. And he says, not exactly sex. And she says, says who? So I feel like that's like the message here is that like, right. it's it's like the S&M is sex, which, you know, that's how you and I live our lives. So. Right. And that's how we think <laughs> of sex. It's just funny to see it in a movie. Exactly. Cronenberg's got to be a big ass freak, right? Like, am I projecting here? He he better be. He he better be, be, right? It would be really disappointing if he wasn't. He'd he'd be doing like a lot of, he would have to be doing a lot of personal research to make the kind of imagery that he makes. Yeah. um, Our culture is not a costume, Cronenberg. (laughs) (laughs) Except it is. (laughs) The whole thing is a costume. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, he says, I just can't cope with the freaky stuff and leaves the room. And he's got this, like, helmet. The, The VR helmet is like a big glowing brain. And we see this, like, pixelated vision, very, like, early video game ish imagery. Um, and Max hallucinates Nikki holding a big cat of nine tails whip, which is very hot. And she hands it to Max and she's like, all of a sudden he, he's in the Videodrome room and Nikki is on a TV and her arms are like tied above her head and with her back to him. And she like turns her head around and she says, let's perform. Let's open up those neural floodgates. And Max whips the TV with Nikki on it, and the TV responds like flesh, and Nikki moans on the screen. And his form, his form is really bad. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, no, we're we're watching it. We're like, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> you would have really hurt someone, and like not yeah. in a fun way. <laughs> yeah, but it, but I mean, that's the thing about like the Videodrome like videos is that like oh, we're watching snuff. We're not watching consensual S&M. We're watching actual torture where people don't care about real form with how they hold a whip. But in this scene, he's whipping a literal television. So um, um, I don't know. Do you have experience whipping a television? Because I don't know, maybe the form's different. Maybe we don't know. Maybe I'm ignorant, actually. (laughs) I've I've never whipped a television, but... If I was going to whip a television, I think the sexiest would be a CRT. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, um, like I'm not going to whip a flat screen. No, because you could probably damage it. But the way that. Um... And also, it's just not sexy. <laughs> like flat screen TVs are not sexy. Like modern TVs are not sexy. They're not. Yeah. Um, but in this scene, it's Nikki Brand on the screen. But then it also, as if the channel switches, it also switches to Masha on the mm-hmm. screen. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Max wakes up in bed and we're unsure if this entire thing was a hallucination. Um, was Barry Convex even real? And he realizes suddenly that he's he takes off a sh- the sheet and he's sleeping next to a dead Masha who's bound and gagged. And he calls Harlan to come over right away and take photos of what's in his bed, but 
when Harlan comes, there's nothing there. Um, so they meet back at the lab. Um, Harlan calls in all of a sudden Barry Convex while he explains that he was actually playing Max pre-recorded tapes the entire time. He did not pirate Videodrome at all. It was a setup to get Max involved and to expose him to the Videodrome signal. And this setup has been going on for like two years. Right. Um, and Harlan says, yes, two wonderful years. He's and I'm like, like in love with him. It's really weird. He's yeah. an interesting character. I kind of like him. Mm-hmm. Um, but then by the end, it's it's very confusing, like what his place is and all of this. Mm hmm. Because because here's where we here's where we get the even more confused philosophy. It's like, OK, we've been playing Max Ren, the video drum signal, um, because, you know, Barry Convex and company think that he is like this detestable human who wants to show disgusting things to the public. And they they Barry Convex and company are worried about North America getting, quote unquote, soft. That's that's the way they put it. They say North America is getting soft while the rest of the world is getting hard. And we need to be pure of mind in moving forward. And therefore, people like Max Wren who want to show snuff and dirty movies to the public are a detriment because they're muddling our minds with with junk. Like that's that's what I work out from that scene. Um, Well, thanks for explaining (laughs) it. (laughs) <laughs> I, I was like, no, nah, I'm just going with it. But that makes sense. Yeah. And but it's just interesting because it's like also I think it's really funny how they always say North America. The word Canada doesn't reach doesn't leave anyone's mouth, which I just think it's just funny because it's like they it's know like, Americans yeah, don't care. Yeah. The Americans don't care or like, you know, the United States exceptionalism like idea of like the u.s is like the pinnacle of media or whatever and it's like if you make it in in canada like your like your films also have to make it in the united states to be like i don't know considered relevant or whatever mm-hmm. and so like they so they're constantly saying north america and when you know i think what they really mean is the united states and canada right um, when they say that um but Politically at the time, like more specifically in the U.S., I don't really know about Canada. Like, you know, there were, I guess, early 80s. That's when there was a lot of censorship, right, regarding like that's that's what like like the feminist porn wars. Absolutely. Yeah. This was very much like on people's lips at the time. So it's very of the time. Um, This idea of like these evil tv executives like poisoning people with filth um yeah and i don't know if cronenberg is like for it or against it or is just i think he's just like it's there like yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. i mean it's a weird convoluted philosophy because they say like north america is getting soft therefore we don't want them to watch these very hardcore violent things happening that's what confused me yeah i guess maybe it desensitizes them i guess to like real world violence i don't know um yeah so this is when it gets real gay um (laughs) yourself to me yeah (laughs) barry pulls out another breathing tape and he's like open up max open up to me 
and Max's shirt like opens up and unbuttons and reveals his sternum puss and <laughs> Barry shoves a VHS into it and Max collapses on the floor while he starts hearing Barry in his head saying, give us channel 83, kill your partners, kill them. Um, like programming his brain and Max reaches into his stomach vagina and pulls out the gun that he hid from before and the gun starts to, in a really stunning piece of practical effects, um, merge with his hand, uh, creating this like really grotesque, fleshy weapon that is one with yeah. his body. It's great. It is. And and then, so yeah, then he, it's like this was the literal act of being penetrated by media and being yes. programmed by it. And then... He goes to the TV station and he kills his partners. Mm-hmm. Um, and he like leaves the building um, and he goes to the cathode ray mission. And this voice inside his head of Barry Convex is telling him, kill Bianca Oblivion. Um, and he confronts her and she explains to him, like, you're being programmed by Videodrome. Like, you're an assassin for them now. And uh, Bianca shows him a TV with Nikki being killed on the Videodrome program saying they used her image to seduce you like she's been dead a while Um, which I was like was she ever there like were they ever did they ever even meet or is this just some woman they used they used her image because the the talk show is so surreal that it could very well be a hallucination Mm mm-hmm so more dental dam TV action. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> this like it looks like a fucking dick, <laughs> like shooting through the dental dam TV and it shoots Max in the chest. Um and his like his chest with bullet holes appears bleeding on the TV. And Bianca says it's always painful to remove the cassette to change the program. So she tells him that he's become the video word made flesh. And my note is, what the hell does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> and like, and like, here's the fucking, here's the fucking thing that everyone loves to quote from this movie of long live the new flesh. Yes. Um, and we don't know what the new flesh is. I'm assuming it's like honestly. a transhumanist thing, like the merging of the machine with the flesh, which I think is also yeah you know Cronenberg is really interested in transhumanism which I think is also why his movies come off as so trans Um, yeah you know this idea of merging with the machine um that's also like a crazy turf conspiracy theory that like trans people are trying to merge people with the machine like no way yeah like transgenderism is just like the gateway to transhumanism (laughs) I know that's the funny thing (laughs) I'm like, like sounds actually, cool. I'm yeah. like, no, actually, the transhumanists are actually just doing weird things, like inserting like light up GPS, like like things under their skin. Like it's 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 actually not not that cool. It's uh-huh. not like as cool as the like turfs make it sound. Like it's not no. this like satanic trans agenda. Because I would sign up for that. I've... 
yeah point me in that direction yeah exactly see i don't i don't i don't i don't pay attention to like nuanced turf discourse so i'm like oh news to me like cool is there such a thing as nuanced turf discourse i don't even pay attention to discourse i just like pay attention to their theories because i think it's really important because i think it's part of like the rise of fascism oh Um, yeah but, (laughs) but i watch videos from smart women about like turf theory so i don't have to read them um yeah, that's so, the better way to do it. Yeah, so I know about a lot being about their crap. by media. Yeah, right, right. Which like their shit is poison, and it's much better to um, engage with it f- filtered, yeah. <laughs> in my opinion, uh, because it really is like poisonous. So Max sees another houseless person with a TV broadcasting a news story about the shooting. He's now a wanted man, and he goes into the Spectacular Optical Glasses store and meets the sales guy with the weird Jamaican accent. Um, So random. So fucking random. And he sees Harlan in the back, um, and Harlan is like, got your head in this box. (laughs) Everything is just like total entropy surreal now. Yeah. And he takes... He asks about Bianca and he says that they want to keep using Max and he takes out this even more grotesque, fleshy VHS. Um, So everything is getting like more and more grotesque and fleshy, these machines. Mm -hmm. And he says again, open up to me. And Max opens his shirt and Harlan sticks the VHS in his stomach and it's like very homoerotic. Mm -hmm. Like they're fucking. Um, But... Max's vagina consumes uh, Harlan's hand, like stripping it of all its flesh until it's like this weird stump. And I think he he replaces it with a pipe bomb, essentially. Right, yes, because Harlan blows up. And before Harlan blows up, Max says, see you in Pittsburgh. (laughs) (laughs) Max goes to this spectacular optical trade show to find Barry Convex, where there's this like very strange, campy um, performance going on with these dancers. How would you describe that? I don't even. It's like a weird, like Vegas review with like these very fruity dancers in like sequin Renaissance outfits, and we learn that like they're wearing those because this line, their new line of glasses, is called the Medici line. Oh um, yes. <laughs> so it's like very fruity and weird. Um, Barry Convex comes out on the stage and Max, his flesh gun has become even more grotesque and he approaches the stage and he shoots Barry Convex dead and says, death to Videodrome, long live the new flesh. And Barry's body rips apart and it looks like some kind of fleshy creature is emerging. And my note here is tumors, question mark. I, to me, it wasn't that a new creature was emerging. It was just like every organ in his body suddenly was autonomous and was trying to like crawl outside of himself. It was oh, like, that makes more sense. Yeah, it was like not. A, it's like he got shot in the chest, and it's like we can believe that that is the physical reality of what happened. You know, because everyone else in the, at the convention is like screaming, running away. Um, someone got shot, but then what actually? 
what we see happen to his body afterwards like that's where we're like is this actually what happened um is that a hallucination um is his body particularly special and that's why it's it's behaving the way it is these are the questions we are left with right so Barry's toast um Max goes to this <laughs> deserted pier um and he like enters this condemned ship and he finds this bare mattress there's a lot of themes of like houselessness in this film actually yeah yeah and yeah. um I don't exactly I hadn't thought about it too deeply but it comes up again and again and this it comes up yet again in this ending scene um, like it looks like there was a squatter there or something. And as Max is like on this spare mattress, um, he says, I was hoping you'd be back. And we see now that there's a TV with Nikki on it now. Um, and she explains like death is not the end. Um, and Videodrome still exists and it's very big and complex and you've hurt them, but you haven't destroyed them. And it's time to move into the next phase you need to go all the way into total transformation. Transformation. Don't be afraid to let your body die. Come to Nikki. <laughs> and she shows him this image on the TV of him shooting himself in front of a fire. And when he pulls the trigger on the TV, the TV screen explodes with organs, which now that you've explained the cathode ray, um, is that's even more interesting to me, that part. Yeah, I mean, like, it's, like, truly, like, plausible that a CRT could explode. Um, I know for a fact that it took them, like, it took them, like, like 24 hours or something to shoot that scene to, to get oh, it Jesus right. Christ. Like, it's like, it's like, they, it's like they, they set it off once and it did not work out and they had to reset it and it took, like, 12 hours to redo it and... <laughs> I just, but I'm like, you know, the, the passion behind it. I admire it. <laughs> right. I mean, it looks great. It does. And in front of the wreckage, which is now on fire, mimicking the image we just saw on the TV, Max uh, repeats that image and shoots himself with the flesh gun. Um, and before he, you know, before he dies, he says, long live the new flesh. And credits roll. And that's Videodrome. I don't think that, that there's really like a cohesive message there. Nah. You said you think it's very Catholic. Oh, did I say? Oh, I, I, I wrote, I wrote that in my notes just in reference to um, the way that they're that they're talking about the new flesh, like in this very like very like communion yeah this is like my communion flesh. like yeah. like yeah like you know he's shooting himself he's sacrificing himself like type of thing and i i was just thinking about the 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 cathode ray mission like um shelter and how like the 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 set design in brian oblivion's like office like has all this like like sort of like mystical christian yeah it's very like liturgical it. yeah and and i feel like cronenberg sprinkles that in and then doesn't really um do much more with it but like you know there's there's a lot to be said about like catholicism and 
S and M. Um, Absolutely. I'm I'm a I'm a baptized Catholic. Um, I know that you're not. <laughs> no, I'm going to hell. <laughs> I'm a dirty I I'm, Jew. I think I'm going right there with you, honestly. Yeah. At this point. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I can't turn on that part of my brain um, right now. But That's okay. um, it. <laughs> We've talked but, for um, so long. Yeah, we really have. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just it's just one more like little like connection that was sprinkled in, but never fully elaborated on. There were just so many of those in this movie, and I think that's why so many different kinds of people enjoy this movie and can get a lot out of it. Whether it's you know the sex or the tech or the like mass conspiracy like theory plot line um there's there's a little something for everyone in this movie <laughs> so i think we'll end there um so mars where can people find you on social media if you want them to <laughs> if i want them to um <laughs> you can find me on twitter at mistrex mars uh Mr. X spelled M-I-S-T-R-E-X-X. Um, that is my honorific for no particular reason other than it felt um, slightly better than Mistress. Um, and that's my that's my 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 dom work zone. Um, and you can you can also find me in other places. And I think the queers that want to find me will find me. They will. Um, <laughs> yeah, they will. And um, Mars has made um, a commercial for me that you've probably seen um, for Girls oh Gets in Jealous Snuff Month. I don't know if you noticed this, but in the beginning of that that video I made you when I did the little motion graphic for the snuff that like comes down, like I totally was taking inspo from the Civic TV like yes. animation. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, it's absolutely like that. Uh, and you know where to find me, Girls Guts and Jello. No, Girls Guts Jello on Instagram, and I'm on Twitter as Girls Guts GLX now. Um, and you know I'm everywhere. Patreon.com/slash/GirlsGutsJello. Google Girls Guts Jello. Google Annie Rose Malamet. You'll find me. And I think we'll leave it there. Thank you, Mars, for joining. Of course. <laughs>